Several years ago, after a service similar to this, a young man approached me after the service. You know, we have, we're always down front after there. And you could tell that he was really broken. That God had really broken through into his life and spoken something to him. He had never been to church before, felt on the way that where he was driving that he needed to stop and come here. And God had a word for him. And he received Christ into his life that day. And many of us came alongside of him, and we began to disciple him. He became about part of some of our studies, uh, including one that I was doing. He was just like wildfire. He was on fire for God and for Christ. He even decided he was going to go on a mission trip, and we were excited about that. We sent him, and he got back, and he sensed, maybe I'm called to ministry. And so he started applying to seminaries. Then all of a sudden, one day, he completely dropped off the face of the earth. He just stopped coming to all these things. He stopped interacting with his friends here at the church. We tried reaching out to him, but nobody could get in contact with him. Finally, he spoke to one of us and he said, I've walked away from my relationship with Christ and I've gone back to my old life. Now, what do you do with a story like that? With an example like that? How do you explain it? I'm sure some of you have had similar experiences or situations. Maybe you've wondered the same thing. Well, in the passage we're looking at together this morning as we continue our series walking through the Gospel of Luke in a series called The Life of Christ, Jesus is going to help us understand that. If you haven't been with us as a church family, we're doing a series since the very beginning of January where our whole goal in this series, we've been saying it this way, this sentence, right? We want to be with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. That's why we're studying the life of Jesus. And the way we're doing that is by looking at his works, his words, and his way, the way he did his life. Well, this morning we come to one of the ways that Jesus powerfully used words in his teaching in what is known as parables. A parable, if you don't know, is simply a story that takes an everyday thing, thing, things that people would have been familiar with in his time and culture, and he makes a deeper connection to a spiritual reality. The thing that is ingenious about parables is that it causes listeners not just to hear more information, but to actually digest that information and to seek to understand it. There's a difference between hearing it and understanding it, right? And Jesus is the master teacher, and so he uses parables often in his ministry. And as we see, even in the Gospel of Luke, sometimes people understand the meanings of these parables and other people don't. This is why Jesus will often say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let this story sink deeply into your life. Now this morning we look at one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable known as the parable of the sower, but I think a better title for it might be the parable of the four soils, and as we unpack it, I think you'll see why. So why don't you take your Bible and turn it like we have been for many, many weeks now to the Gospel of Luke, which is about three quarters of the way back in your Bible. We are looking at Luke 8, verse 1, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we never want to feel like you're left out, so we have some Bibles in the seat in front of you or underneath you there and you can find Luke chapter 8, verse 1 on page 722 there. As you're making your way there, can we once again bow our heads and give this time over to the Lord? Lord, two things happen, need to happen, in order for this time to make any impact. The first thing is we need to have ears to hear. We need to have eyes to see. We need to have minds that are clear of distractions. That's our part, Lord. And so right now, we do that. We ask that you would help us to do that. But your part is 
to reveal the deeper meaning in these stories, in your word, to send your spirit, your presence here in this place, because unless you do that, these are just words, empty words. But if you do that, they have the power to do so much more. And that is what we yearn for as your family, as your church body. So we pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get to the parable itself, Luke begins with these words in chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about uh, about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Now we're going to stop here. just want us to imagine Luke setting the scene. Jesus is continuing his ministry where he is traveling from village to village all throughout Israel. He has a large following at this point, we see in verse 4. Many supporters, including, that was kind of cool, some important women, right? Some women supporting his ministry, some disciples who are women. And what does it say he's proclaiming as he goes about from village to village? I don't want you to miss this in verse 1. What does it say he's proclaiming? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. If you could boil down Jesus' message to one sentence, that's how I'd do it. I'd say Jesus' message is the kingdom. He's not talking about a physical kingdom like the Romans who were ruling at the time. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom, and he has come as a different kind of king, and he offers a different kind of life in his kingdom. Now, what's the good news of the kingdom? Well, as we've seen in the first seven chapters of Luke, if you're following on your notes there, the good news is the kingdom is that God is entering our world in the person of Jesus. God entering our world in the person of Jesus. God made flesh. Now, here's the kicker. Inviting us to do life with him. Inviting us to do life with him. It is not, like other kingdoms, a kingdom of force. It is a kingdom of invitation. At this time in his ministry, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. He has large crowds following him. He is doing incredible stuff, as we've seen, right? He's healing diseases. He's setting people free. He's proclaiming good news. But Jesus knows that large crowds does not automatically mean that people are receiving and living in the kingdom, right? Just because you got a large crowd doesn't mean they're receiving and the kingdom is manifesting itself in a person's life. So with this large crowd present, he tells this parable about his kingdom and how we receive this kingdom. Now I'm going to encourage you to do something I not normally do. I'm going to encourage you to actually put your Bible down right now on your laps. And don't read along with me as I read this story because we remember Jesus was a master storyteller. If we were there, we would have simply been hearing this story. So let's have ears to hear from the master storyteller. He says this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, 
Whoever has ears, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Then he quotes from Isaiah, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil, that stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. In this parable, again, what is a parable? It's something that takes an everyday experience, and these people would have known about farming. We happen to live in an area of the world where we should know a little bit about farming too, right? It takes an everyday experience and teaches a valuable lesson about his kingdom for those who have ears to hear. As he explains to his disciples later, just in case you missed it, if you're falling on your notes there, the seed in this parable represents what? The word of God. Now, specifically, here I believe that's talking about the good news of the kingdom that Jesus is going village to village proclaiming, right? The word of God. But of course, it also includes that book that you're holding in your lap there, or maybe it's on your phone. The farmer represents Jesus, or quite honestly, anybody who proclaims God's word, whether that's in preaching like we're doing right now or in personal conversation. So listen, if you do devotions with your kids at night, you're like the farmer, You're scattering seed just like him in their lives. And then the soil represents people's hearts and how they receive Jesus' words and his kingdom. And the whole point of this parable is that as these large crowds of people gather around Jesus, Jesus wants to talk to them about what is really going to happen in their life if they truly let the kingdom penetrate their heart. This parable is about the human heart and what we do with Jesus' invitation into his kingdom. Now, I don't know what you think of when I say the word heart, but in English, we often associate heart with what? Feelings, emotions, right? I think with my mind, I do actions with my body, and I feel with my heart. Many of you wrote Mother's Day cards this morning. I hope you didn't wait till this morning, actually. You wrote Mother's Day cards two weeks ago. And in those cards, you may have done something like, I heart you, Mom. What do we mean by that? I feel love towards you, Mom. But in these times, in this culture, when they heard the word heart, they didn't think of it like that. In fact, the heart in the Bible was the seat of the mind, the emotions, and the will, all three. The best way for me to say it is the heart is who you were. It was the totality of a person. Now, we've separated those three things today because we've been influenced by Greek philosophy and thought. But in biblical times here, you can think with your heart, it says sometimes. That is so foreign of a concept for us. You feel with your heart, of course, but the Bible also says you act with your heart at times. I'll give you one example here. Romans 6.17 says this. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Notice there, 
Obedience, what is that? That's the will. It comes from the heart there. The heart encompasses our mind, emotions, and behavior. And I got to say, that is really what a Christian is. You can't be a Christian unless you have received the word of God, the seed in this story, and it goes all the way down into your heart. It goes to your core, and it categorically redefines who you are as a person in your mind, in your emotions, and in your will, right? You have your mind. The mind is involved. I have to believe certain truths about God and about Jesus and about what his life meant and what about his death meant and his resurrection. I could go on and on and on, right? I have to believe certain things. Then you have emotions, I feel certain things, right? Sometimes I'm in awe of the glory and the greatness of God when I recognize what he has done. Other times I might feel convicted of my sin when I'm faced with God's holiness. And then you do certain things. We don't just hear what God says, but we put it into practice. But not everybody receives the word of God like that. That's the whole point of this parable. In fact, Jesus shows us there's actually four kinds of hearts when it comes to receiving God's word. A hard heart, a shallow heart, a divided heart, and what the NIV calls there a noble and good heart. We're going to look at these a little bit more in depth. So let's talk about a hard heart. Jesus explained it this way in verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, and again, farming was, of course, different back then than it is now. They didn't have planters and combines and all this fancy equipment. Literally, a guy would have bags, and he would throw seed as he walked along the fields. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. I want you to picture in ancient Palestine here, fields were like these long, narrow fields and had paths that intersected in between them. What happens over time when horses and wagons and people are walking along those paths? What happens to the dirt on that path? It gets packed down, right? It gets hard as stone. On this ground, seeds can make no indent. They can't make any ground, and so they're snatched away by the birds. We have a great picture of this here with this box. The one on the far left is like that kind of ground. Jesus explains this in verse 12. This is how some people receive his message. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. There's some spiritual warfare going on here, right? These are people who have become so hardened to God's truth, nothing stirs them anymore. Something I'd like to do with you as we walk through this text this morning is to consider each of these hearts and people we've seen in the Gospel of Luke so far. So have we seen any hard hearts in Luke yet? Uh, Yeah. You remember chapter 4 when Jesus goes back to his hometown, the people who should have received him? He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he says, Today this has been fulfilled in you. How did they receive that message? Not so well. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. Why? Because their hearts were hard to the truth. Their hearts were hard to the truth. Today, what does this look like? Well, it can be several things. Immediately as I was preparing this, I thought about, you know, people who are actually opposed to the message of Jesus. And they do everything in their power to fight against it. But more often, I think of people who just don't have any interest in him or in his kingdom or letting him have any rule or reign in his life. I've seen many people in church like this, 
right? They come in regular contact with God and his word. They come to church, they know the truth, but they've never let the gospel seed make any deeper impact than their mind. They know about it. They might even be able to quote you some of these things we're talking about this morning, but it is never penetrated into their heart. Can I just be honest with you? I think a lot of, them, a lot of men I know, a lot of my friends, right? Life for many men is no more than a sports page and a beer or a fishing pole and a round of 18. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no major sin involved with any of those four things is what I'm saying. But really, there's no interest in God or in his word. Even when I try to talk about it, it's sort of like running up against a, well, kind of like a path that's been beaten down and is hard. Their hearts have become unaffected and not open to Jesus' words. They may know about Jesus but they do not know him in the way this parable describes. Now, question for you. Is there any hope for people with hard hearts? Thanks be to God. Yes, there is. He is the hound of heaven, somebody once called, and he will come after even those with hard hearts. I think, for example, of a famous author in England by the name of A.N. Wilson. I had to read some of his stuff in seminary. He was a staunch atheist who wrote against attacking Christianity. But over time, God began to break down his heart, and he has now come to know Christ and receive Christ. How does that happen? Well, his heart had to begin to get, just like in farming, how do you plant seeds in hard ground? What has to happen? It's got to be tilled. And I hate to say this to you, but do you know how hard hearts are most often broken, tilled up, through some sort of trial? through some sort of suffering, through some sort of pain. I look in this room and I know this is how God's grace came to many of you, isn't it? Thanks be to God. We have to get to a place where we can no longer rely on ourselves and our kingdom and our kingship and our throne. I got to get to the end of myself and in his grace, that's where he meets us. I've seen this time and time again, time and time again. You know, I stand down up front after every service. I can't tell you how many times I've had people who are just broken. They didn't know where else to go, so they came to church on that day, and God spoke to them. He began to speak a kingdom seed in their heart. Maybe you find yourself with a hard heart this morning. Maybe you know somebody who does. You're picturing some loved ones. My my thought was to say pray for suffering, but I'm just kidding here. I will tell you, though, pray that God will break their heart and trust that he will do it his way with love, with grace, and with truth. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. The second kind of heart is described this way in verse 6. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. In the fields of Israel here, there were some soil that was like two to three inches thick of good soil, but underneath it, there was this limestone bedrock. And so what would happen is you'd plant a seed and the seed would grow and it would burst forth in life. But what needs to happen? The roots need to go deeper and it would come up against this bedrock. And as the sun continued to beat down on it, it would begin to wither and die. This is a perfect example of this here in that second box, isn't it? In verse 13, Jesus explains that those with hearts like this hear the word of God, and at first they receive it with great joy. 
They burst forth in life, but when the going gets tough, they fall away. Let's think again of the Gospel of Luke here. Do we see any examples of this? I thought about this last week with Simon the Pharisee, right? If you were here, Pastor Jeff spoke on Simon the Pharisee and the woman who comes and anoints Jesus' feet in his home. There had to be some sort of seed that was planted in his life for him to invite Jesus to his home, right? Something had to be going on. He wanted to learn more, but when this woman comes and makes things awkward, you can palpably feel it in the text if you were here last week, right? He begins to pull away. He doesn't want this kind of a Messiah. Doesn't he know who she is? And so whatever roots that began to grow, they started to wither. Now, we don't know what happened to him later. I think of the story in John chapter 6, the classic story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And seriously, the people are ready to crown him king. They love him. He's a bread provider. And then he gives this message about how hard it is to be one of his disciples. And John writes, many walked away sad. Many walked away sad. Now, I'm always amazed that Jesus lets them, right? I'd always be like, wait, 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 come, come, come back. I'll give you some more bread. I think of people today who come to church or some other event and they have an emotional experience with God of some kind. They have a taste of God's power. It's real. But that experience can only keep a person going for so long, right? As soon as the emotions are gone, as soon as the feelings are gone, I'm looking for the next experience. I look at our country right now, and this is what I see. I look at my own life right now, and this is what I see. I want experiences. I want the next thing. I want that feeling. The problem is when I make the next thing the thing, I never grow any roots in my life. I'm going to say this at least twice this morning. Life in the kingdom is a lot more like farming than we want it to be. Life in the kingdom is a lot more like farming than we want it to be. It is a long, deliberate, patient thing that over time will bear a crop. It is not a flash in the pan. I think Tim Keller describes this kind of heart the best when he says, they became Christians, they thought they were entering Christ's kingdom, but really what was happening was they were trying to get Christ to enter their kingdom. And they were trying to get Christ to fulfill their agenda. Shallow hearts want a blesser, not a savior. They want, as I've said many times, a vending machine, not a Lord. They want help and relief and good feelings, not obedience. First John, or John, the apostle, writes about this in 1 John 2.19, describing the church he was writing. He said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? What is he saying? He's saying real Christians last. They stay to the end no matter how hard following Christ gets. Once again, I will ask you, is there any hope for shallow-hearted people? Can God break through limestone bedrock I think of John Mark. You guys know John Mark's story? Invited by the Apostle Paul to come on the first missionary journey. He's going all over the world. But when the going gets tough, John Mark ditches. He can't handle it. 
He didn't have the kind of soil in his life that could take the heat. They're ready to go on the second journey. Remember that story? And Barnabas and Paul have an argument about what? About John Mark. Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark with us. Paul says, no way. He's shallow. He's got shallow faith. He can't stand the heat. Barnabas says, I want to give him another try. And so they go their separate ways. And because Barnabas gave him another try, we have the gospel of Mark. And we have Paul nearing the end of his life in prison, writing, asking for John, Mark of all people, to come and visit him and encouragement. Is there hope for shallow-hearted people? Oh, yes, there is. The third kind of heart is what I might call a divided heart. Jesus describes this person in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. If you're a gardener, you know what thorns and weeds do to a plant, right? They choke it out before it can even bloom. I love this in this example here. Did you know these are the exact same plants? The only difference is this one has some thorns and some weeds growing along with it, slowly choking away its life. Explaining this in verse 13, Jesus said, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. This is describing a person who lives their life for this kingdom here on earth, not for the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Though a kingdom seed may have been planted, it is getting choked away by the kingdom of this world. Now, this is a tough one, because in this soil, there seems to be some understanding of the kingdom. There's intellect involved. There are emotions involved, probably. But the point is, deep down, a person's lifestyle, his or her will, is unaffected. Remember the way you can tell the kingdom has gone all the way down into your heart is that your mind, your emotions, and your will, and your actions are changed. And that's the scary thing about this third group. It's pretty easy to see when Jesus is telling this parable, the first two soils there, right? They are describing hearts of people who have not yet understood the message of the kingdom. This third one's a little bit more difficult. They have root. They look kind of healthy. They don't fall away. But there's no change. There's no fruit. There's no growth. There's no obedience. I think in the Gospel of Luke, of Judas. Now, we haven't gotten to the end of Luke yet, but we do know that Jesus invited Judas to be one of the 12 who would follow him. And we don't understand or realize how significant of of a decision that is for someone to follow a rabbi like that, just like Levi, he had to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. So I believe with my whole heart that deep down, there was a seed that was planted in Judas' life. The kingdom got in there a little bit, but then when he realized it wasn't gonna be the kind of kingdom that he wanted it to be, that Jesus wasn't gonna be the kind of king he thought he was gonna be, it got choked out, and we know the rest of the story, right? He betrays him. Today, I know many people, we live in a country that still says something like 80% believe in God or consider themselves Christians, and yet our actions show differently. For example, some people use their sexuality in a way they know is wrong. Why do they do that? Because they have a divided heart. They know in their mind what God says about it. They may even have for a little while some emotions of guilt, some feelings of guilt or whatever, but the seed of the word of God has not penetrated deep enough into their heart for it to actually change the way they live. 
The age-old question of this parable is, is the third soil describing a Christian, someone who is in the kingdom of God? And the answer in the parable, at least, is no. Because a Christian is someone who, what? Whose mind, emotions, and will have all come under the authority of the king. This is everywhere in the Bible. I'll just use some examples from Jesus' lips himself. He would say these words in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. They go hand in hand. Or how about Matthew 6, 24 in the Sermon on the Mount? No one can serve two masters. There is not a better picture I can give you to what happens when we try to serve two masters, right? No one can do that. Either will you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't like how the NIV says the word money there. It's actually the Greek word mammon, which just means the stuff of this world, the stuff of this kingdom here on earth. You can't serve God and the kingdom on here on earth. Or how about this in Luke here, in the verses immediately almost following this, starting in verse 19, Luke addresses the same issue. It says, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Now would you read verse 21 out loud there on your notes with me, it says, he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Hearers and doers. Now, before we move on from that statement, by the way, how cool is that? We're not only invited to be subjects of his kingdom. We're invited to be a part of his family. We're invited to be royalty, brothers and sisters of the king himself. Now, here we are. This is a tough passage, right? And before we all start freaking out, because I know I find my heart divided at times. Do you? I know I find my heart shallow at times. I want to just say to you, even good-soiled people are going to stumble and fall and sin, right? That is not what this is talking about. Are only perfect people allowed in the kingdom of God? I sure hope not, because it's a kingdom of one at that point. So what is this talking about? Many Christians have stumbled uh, because of this, so I'm going to say this twice here. Here's what this is talking about. It's talking about a habitual, in other words, an ongoing, willful, in other words, I have the choice, I have the power to choose disobedience. Habitual, willful disobedience where a person knows the truth and they have the ability to choose differently. And yet over time, they continue not to. And pretty soon, just like this plant will be, the seed that was planted is choked out. Is there hope for people like this? Just like all the soils, you better believe it. God is a great gardener. John 15, he prunes. He prunes so that more growth can come in our lives. Finally, Jesus addresses those with hearts who receive the seed and it produces an incredible crop. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now listen, I'm not sure how many of you are farmers, but that's pretty unheard of production right there, a hundred times. 
But this is what he says takes place in the heart of a person who receives the word of God deep down into their core. And it changes their mind, their emotions, and their will. Jesus explains in verse 15, which I have printed on your notes there. Would you read this out loud? It says, The seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Just picture it. A seed sinking deep into a person's heart where it changes a person's mind, emotions, and will. And over time, just like farming, through perseverance, does farming take perseverance? Are farmers ever challenged by, oh my goodness, a huge harvest, though, when we endure, when we persevere, is produced? Character begins to change. Fruit begins to be developed. Our choices begin to change. My priorities get flipped upside down. My actions begin to change. The good news of the kingdom begins to take root in my life and fruit everlasting, fruit that really matters. Is produced. There's no faking this, right? I mean, we can't go plant some fake corn out in the fields right now and go, oh, look at the wonderful harvest. No, there's no faking this. It's the natural result. It's going to be what naturally happens to you as you submit to Christ and his kingdom. I think about our series in Luke so far. Again, let's look at some examples. Do we have any examples in Luke of some good soil people? How about the Roman centurion who came to Jesus and said, I know you don't even have to be where my servant is to heal him. That's fruit of faith right there. Or I think a Levi, the tax collector, the shady tax collector, right? Willing to leave everything behind in order to follow Jesus. And what's the first thing he does as a disciple? He invites others to come and meet him. That's some fruit. Or I think about the woman from last week's story as Jeff showed us, right? who didn't care about being embarrassed, wasn't ashamed. Her life had been so transformed and changed by the kingdom, the good news. She came and worshiped at his feet. Worshiped at his feet. She just can't contain it. I look in this room and I see many of you. I think about some of you who just came up from the 930 service, serving downstairs, spreading seed to the 250 plus kids who come to our church every Sunday. That's fruit. Thank you. I think of many of you who are walking into situations on Monday morning in a work environment that's not so conducive to being a Christian or a school where it's hard to be a Christian and you're persevering. That's fruit. Or I look at some of you and and I see for a fact things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit being developed and growing in your life. Not a flash in the pan, but over time, through perseverance. That's the kind of thing that happens to someone who receives the kingdom. As we have been saying in our series, we become more like Jesus. So, where are you this morning? You have the kind of heart that's described in verse 15, a heart that has heard and received the good news of the kingdom, and it's sunk so deep that it has affected your mind, your emotions, and your will. Have all three of those things come under the authority of the king? Can I just be honest with you for a minute? You know, I grew up in the church. I've heard this story 
many, many times, and I always hated it. You know why I hated it? Because I'd get to the end of the parable, and as a good Christian kid, I'd do what we're supposed to do right now, which is start feeling all guilty and shame and being like, oh, I'm too much like the shallow soil. I'm too much like the thorny soil. Oh, God, and I just got to pull up my bootstraps. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to be like that good soil. And listen, I don't want to suggest that there isn't a part and we play in rooting out the weeds in our lives or digging down deeper into our lives. But if you remember back to verse 1, we're told that he went around from village to village proclaiming what? The bad news of the kingdom? The good news of the kingdom. This is a parable of unprecedented good news. The good news, if you're following on your notes, that the kingdom of God is open to everyone who receives it. I know that's just one more sentence in a lot of sentences this morning, but let that sink in for a second. The kingdom of God, the king with a capital K, is inviting you into his kingdom. All you need to do is receive it. No matter what kind of soil you find yourself today, you're relating to, there's a kingdom. And it's available to you. And it's different from the kingdoms of this world. And there is a king with a capital K who's different from the kings of this world. And he is inviting you and me. But as this parable shows, unlike other kingdoms, he will not force his kingdom upon you. He's not that kind of king. He's like a farmer. Scattering seed. Still today. Making his invitation known. And we are like soil. We either receive it and we let it go deep down into our lives and let it change us from within, or we reject it. Because God is love, he has given us that choice. Has the word of God taken hold of your life? Have your mind, emotions, and will come under the authority of the king? Are you living for his kingdom more than your kingdom? Friends, the kingdom of God is available to anyone who will receive it. But you must receive it. And the other good news is that once you do, he doesn't just go, okay, cool, you're in now. He says, I'm gonna do something in your life you won't believe. I'm gonna produce a harvest in you and through you a hundred times more than you could ever have imagined. You are gonna live the best life possible. Do you believe that is life in his kingdom? It's the best possible life? What kind of harvest? Well, I think Luke includes the next story there to explain that a little bit. Look at verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Get the picture. Jesus depicts those in his kingdom, those who hear and receive the word as little lamps who aren't gonna cover up what we've received but we're going to shine brightly in this world. I love to think of it this way. I put it this way. As we receive the kingdom in our lives, we will become little kingdom bringers 
in this world. We become seed scatterers, right? With the words and the works and the way of Jesus. And sometimes, can you believe it? Sometimes, as we scatter seed, it will fall on some good soil. And the kingdom of God is received in a person's life. That, my friends, is worth living for. That is the kind of fruit I want to see in my life. As we close, there's really only one question we must answer. What kind of soil am I? Or I put it this way on your notes, what is my heart towards Jesus and his kingdom? If you find yourself relating to one of the first three soils, I will simply ask you, what is it that's keeping you from fully submitting to him? The kingdom of God is available to all and anyone who receive it. I know many of you in this room are good soil. You've got some thorns you need to take care of maybe. There's some shallow spots. I'm with you. But God is growing some fruit in your life. My word to you this morning is simply to remind you one more time that life in the kingdom is a lot like what? Farming. It's steady obedience from the heart that leads to a lifetime of abundance and joy. We're going to have an opportunity now for some reflection, for some prayer. If you find yourself relating more to one of the first three soils and you want that to change, pray. He's a master gardener, remember? He would love nothing more than to come into your life, and he will do that with grace and love. If you find yourself knowing you're the fourth soil, I'm going to also encourage you to pray. Pray for the kind of perseverance that's required. Pray that he will produce in you the kind of harvest described here that is beyond your imagination and is for his glory. Because as we remember, the kingdom of God is open to anyone who receives it. I'm going to pray and then we'll have a time of reflection. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, what good news this is. Good news isn't always easy news. There's some hard news here. And some of us, if we're honest, we recognize that we relate a lot more to the first three soils than we do to the fourth right now. And if that is where you find yourself right now, trust that he is a gracious king that he can break through the bedrock, he can till up the hard soil, he can weed out the thorns, submit to them. And for those of us who, though we know we still have some areas in our lives, we see that you have done something in us and we are grateful, amazed that we are not just your subjects, but we are your family, we are your brothers and your sisters. Lord, we pray for perseverance Remind us again that living this life is a lot more like farming. Help us to be steady and obedient as we seek to follow you and spread the seed in this world. And now we give you some time to speak to us in our heart, some time of reflection and prayer. What do you want to say to us this morning, Lord?
So here's the thing. He's still building his kingdom. He's still scattering seed. And the amazing thing is he invites us to join him in doing that. So let's go and be his church. Let's go and be his people this week. As we do every week, we'll have members of our prayer team up front. If you need uh, just someone to come alongside of you, to encourage you, to pray with you, we would love to do that with you this morning. For the rest of you, just remember the good news. The kingdom of God is open to everyone and anyone who receives it. Go in that good news. God bless you this morning.